Hello everyone, uh, my name's Ollie, if I haven't met you, and for the past few weeks we've been tracking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And tonight we're up to the part of the letter where things get a little bit uncomfortable. What the church needed to hear from chapters 1 to 4 was their unity and power was found in the gospel alone. Well, next Paul moves on. What this church needed to hear was a message addressing a serious problem that if we're to be honest with ourselves, we're no strangers to um, either. The issue of sexual immorality, the misuse of God's, of what God has made for loving covenantal union between husband and wife and taken and abused out of this context for our own self-gratification. Sexual morality. Well, sexual morality was ignored, uh, minimalized, and in some cases even celebrated amongst these Corinthian Christians. And what Paul addresses is no doubt widespread among Christians today. And as a church, we are not immune to So tonight, I want to answer some important questions. Why should it be something Christians and the church should even care about at all? Why is sexual immorality considered to be such a serious issue? And aren't we talking about an impossible task? What power is there to overcome? And the answer, I believe, is the same to each of these questions. We have been given a whole new identity in Jesus. And we're going to see what that identity is. So as we come to God's Word, I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6 we're going to be looking at. Grab a notebook and a pen or open a device to take notes because we want to be digging deep into God's Word and, and what He has to say for us. And so before we begin... Uh, would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we do pray that you would help us to see tonight and to understand the new identity you have given us. Lord, I pray by your word that you would break us free from uh, any addiction that is holding us. Lord, comfort and, and cover us in our shame. Lord, renew us with the power the power to live lives that are honouring to you. We, we pray, Lord, speak. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Sleeping with your stepmom. Practically incest. It's, it's not a very good sight. And this is happening with the church's full awareness and they don't really seem to mind. In fact, they celebrate the, the freedom that, they, that this guy is expressing in Christ. And so Paul lays it out. This is not on for the church of God, and they needed to deal with it. Paul recommends some serious action be taken, including expelling this unrepentant man from their membership. Now this seems pretty harsh in our kind of tolerant worldview. But in the context of church discipline, of church discipline, the goal 
was and must always be restoration. Restoration for this man. And what this guy needed was a wake-up call so that he might still realize his need for salvation and, and not harden his heart fully. This is what we're going to see. So if you've got your Bible there, open up to chapter 5. I want to read from verse 1. Uh, Paul is writing. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus and on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. See, the root of the problem was that the church had lost its view of its new identity. And when we do this, we, we open up a door for a, for a little yeast to come in and, and start infecting our hearts and our minds away from Jesus and his call on our life. And so verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed so that they may be who they really are. This is where I want to start tonight. Our new identity. You know, we may not be sleeping with our stepmom, but many of us know the feeling of the burden of, of shame and, and guilt over our sin that, that we carry around. And it chokes us of our joy, it chokes us of our passion, and it chokes us of being fruitful. On the other hand, we may not even be aware of the slippery slope that we're standing on and perhaps have become complacent over the things that we allow our eyes to see or the behavior at the club or with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Regardless of how we feel about ourselves, regardless of how we think about it, our sin is far, far more worse than we realize. We all stand, all of us stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. Each of us, as Vanith reminded us, have soiled God's good intention for a perfect and good creation. Each of us have no footing in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. None of us have a leg to stand on. On the day of the Lord, as our life is weighed, every vile thought, every missed opportunity, every selfish deed, every sin laid before us, we stand condemned. But friend, that is what some of you were. That is not our identity anymore. I turn with me to chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers, and make no mistake, that is all of us, 
all of us are included in this list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is our new identity. Washed of our sin. Holy before a just God. Justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you no longer bear the weight of sin or shame or guilt before God. Christ has clothed you with his righteous robes. He's erased the debt. You're forgiven. He has restored you. We read in chapter 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Passover, when, when the angel that brought judgment upon Egypt passed over the houses of the Israelites who painted the doorpost with the blood of a spotless lamb so that they were spared. You too, Jesus' blood covers us so that the condemnation passes over. Jesus sacrificed, past tense. Your sins are forgiven, already paid for. This is your new identity. Inheritors in the kingdom of God. Righteous, holy, loved. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you don't, you don't know what I keep doing. You don't know how guilty I am. Well, brother or sister, let me tell you, Christ laid down his life to pay for your sin. Don't tell him that that wasn't enough. If you trust in him for your righteousness, this is the confidence that we have. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Before we think that this is a license to do whatever we like, Christ's redemption never leaves us as we were. And so it's with this new identity, front and foremost in our minds, that we overcome. See, the call of God now is to be who you are. The church of God, to be who you are. You see, the, the problem with the man sleeping with his stepmom, the sexual immorality in the church was that they were for, they'd forgotten their identity. They'd forgotten who Christ had made them and saved them to be. Live your new identity. So we read verse 7 of chapter 5. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, our, our old identity, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, leaving our new identity. You see, this is our new motivation. 
as we're going to look at overcoming sexual immorality. You see, it's not about earning brownie points with God. It's not about a bunch of rules from an angry God. The power to break out of your addictions or your complacency will not be moral willpower or to curry favor with God. It's not earning our righteousness. Christ purchased our righteousness for us. And it meant the Son of God bearing the wrath of God upon himself and his death on the cross. We don't add to that. Rather, we overcome and we live this new identity through the power of the gospel in the Spirit of God, realizing, living out our new identity, a new creation, made new. And Paul, in these two chapters of 1 Corinthians, he outlines what this new identity means for us. We've got three things. We are now a witness to the world, Worshippers of the Lord and wedded to our Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's start witnesses to the world. When I was in year eight uh, at a family friend's dinner event, I remember meeting two boys. Uh, that They were from a, um, what I thought was a, a preppy private school. Uh, these boys were snobs. They were arrogant. They were self-centered uh, not fun to be around. And then when mum asked me if I wanted to apply for a scholarship at this same school, I remember thinking, no way. They're a bunch of snobs. Why would I want to go there? I met a few others later and I was convinced otherwise. But it serves as an example for, for us. You see, the world's going to do the same thing, judging our message by the quality of its members. Judging our message by the quality of its members. You see, the adulterous sin in chapter 5 was so shocking, especially because it was worse than what the pagans even tolerated. What did it say about the church? Well, from verse 9 of chapter 5, you see, Paul isn't telling the church not to mix with the world. He's saying that the church is called to be in the world, but distinct, set apart from the world in its sin, that we might be a witness to them. So read along with me, verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Again, this is kind of hard to uh, understand in our, in our current framework of, of tolerance that we would want to expel someone. But we've got to understand that church discipline was with the goal of restoration. And that these, these people, these, those who were unrepentant in their sinfulness, uh, we couldn't just call them a Christian and we needed to uh, apply the Matthew 18 of, of discipline. And if they were to still, uh, as we read in Matthew 18, if they were still unwilling to repent, then they needed to be held accountable. But you see, church discipline and accountability was also a way of preserving the church's witness. 
The same principle is what he brings to in chapter 6. Because the Corinthian Christians were arguing and they started suing each other in court in front of their society. What it did, it spat all over the good news that they were called to be witnesses to. Paul says, wouldn't it be better to be wronged or cheated than to sully the message of the gospel? It's the only hope for the world. Let me show you, chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do not... Do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? This is the issue. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brother and sister. You see, the issue here was that they were doing this in front of unbelievers and was hindering their witness to the gospel, the gospel that has united them, the gospel that brought unity, and yet they were parading their disunity. Paul says, this is not who we are. We are the people of God, washed, redeemed, forgiven, a new identity. So the church lives in the freedom of God's grace And this only moves us to want to live God's way. The power of Christ who is raised from the dead is working through us. Our joy and our power-filled lives should be attractive to outsiders. If we are not different, if our view of sex is just as cheap as everyone else, why would anyone look twice at the gospel? Because we are called to be witnesses to the world, witnesses of this gospel. Sexual immorality is not compatible with our identity. This is why our dating life should be different to the world around us. Our friends should be shocked by how high we value sex that we want to protect it for its intended use between a husband and wife in covenantal union. And I use that that word covenant for a reason. It's a picture of commitment, of whole life sacrifice, of self-giving, of faithfulness. And it's a reflection of God's covenantal, His commitment, His faithfulness to us. Therefore, do not give with your bodies what you are not willing to give with your life, what you haven't paid with your life. So casual hookups, Tinder, sleeping with or living with a partner who isn't your husband or wife, it's not just sin and outside of God's will. It's sending a message to a world that we don't really believe God's way is best. 
Let me say that again. When we blur these lines and when we are sexually immoral, it's sending a message to the world that we don't really believe that God's will is best and God's way is best. It harms our witness. So it's worth mentioning as well, sexual harassment and coarse joking have no place in the church. And I don't mean just this building. I mean us, the church. Any form of harassment is incompatible with what we believe about human dignity in the image of God. Let's be the city on a hill that Christ asks us to be. Let's be different. Let's not join in with those jokes that our friends make. That we might be people of love and advertisements to the grace and honour and kindness of our Lord Jesus. So let's all take a good look at ourselves. Let's ask God to help us live out our new identity that we might be witnesses to the world. Well, secondly, sexual immorality is incompatible with our new identity because our bodies have a renewed purpose and significance the worship of our Lord. You see, when we take something out of its intended purpose, we are lining ourselves up for misuse and damage to those around us. It's like suggesting disinfectant be ingested as a cure for coronavirus. That's not what bleach is made for. And it might feel good for a minute, but the aftertaste and the indigestion won't be your friend. God has made us for a purpose, to delight in and worship him. So what we do with our bodies matter. It matters. So come with me, chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Sexual immorality is not beneficial. Rather, it seeks, as we read, to be our masters instead, and it robs us of God's purpose for our lives. Joy. And worship, enjoyment of our God. This is a really helpful question to ask when it comes to how we behave in sexual immorality. We need to ask ourselves, does what I'm doing bring glory to God? Can I say that I am worshipping God with what I am doing? If there's any blurred lines over uh, where, where the line is to cross, ask yourself, Am I worshipping God with what I'm doing? Or is my behaviour saying that I don't trust God's will for my life? We were made by God to enjoy Him, to worship Him. And we were redeemed by God, rescued by God to worship and enjoy Him. So let's read. Come with me, verse 19 of chapter 6. 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? This picture of the temple was the place in Israel's history where God would dwell with his people, where they could enjoy his presence and feel and experience his power and worship him. Yet the temple was full of all kinds of barriers and, 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 and walls in place to signify God's separation. We were not worthy of his presence. But you see, it was always God's intention, ultimately, that he would dwell with his people. And the sacrifice of Jesus made that possible. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn, symbolizing God's presence could now be accessed by the Holy Spirit. God now dwells in us. Our bodies are for worshipping Him, enjoying, worshipping, enjoying His presence, not serving ourselves. So as we worship God, see what we're really doing is enjoying Him in all the goodness, giving thanks for the good things He's given to us. This means that the single person, those who are not married, are called to abstinence. But in their abstinence, they are devoting their bodies to God, trusting that God knows what you need and can fully satisfy you. It's a lie of the world that says that unless you're living out your sexuality, you're less of a person. God fully meets us and we are fully a person in Him. As Piper has said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And for the married person, they too devote their bodies to the Lord, such that sex is an expression of love and faithfulness, their covenantal union, all of which comes from God and is an act of worship to Him. We're expressing what God has done. God has made each of us for a purpose. So what we do with our bodies matters. It's not something cheap that we should just throw around. And this is tied to the last aspect of our identity that Paul outlines. Because we are wedded to Christ. I use the term wedded not just because of the alliteration of witness, worship, wedded, but because a marriage to Christ, a union with God, is an important picture of who the church is and our covenant relationship to Him. And this is such a critical part of Paul's argument here for why there is no place for sexual immorality in the church or in our identity. So I invite you, let's read from verse 15 of chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Sex is powerful. I mean, we all get this. As much as society wants to cheapen it and, and commodify it and, and, and use it, we know that punishment for sexual crimes is, is severe, and it should be. 
I mean, the Me Too movement rightfully addressed the severity of sexual harassment and abuse. Because someone's sexuality is, is deeply tied to their soul. And God has designed it this way, that in the context of covenantal and faithful and committed union between a husband and wife would, would give of themselves, being vulnerable, naked, their souls exposed, the two would become one flesh. But Paul uses this image not just of marriage, but of Christ and his church. We are united to him. Our souls exposed, united to him, in covenantal love to him. So when we then throw our sexuality around, we are giving of ourselves what's not ours to give. And in the process, we're doing damage to ourselves. So read with me verse 18. We get more of this why sex and sexuality is so significant. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Christ has purchased us. He's purchased us out of condemnation into the, the freedom of new life and an internal inheritance. And it cost him greatly. Therefore, Paul says, honor God. Honor him with your bodies. Why do we take sexual immorality seriously in the church? It's because we have been united to Christ. Christ in us. Our new identity. New creation. He's removed our guilt. He's removed our shame. And he placed his Holy Spirit in us. See, the more we realize this, the more that we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the more that we, we hate our sin and, and it's offense towards God. Why would we go back and want to live the life that he has rescued us from? We want to live out our new identity. See, God is in the business of transforming our lives into the image of Christ. You see, sexual immorality, taking sex outside of God's delightful purpose for it, is out of place and it's stifling us of joy. Brothers and sisters, this is why Paul says, flee, run away, get rid of it. This is not who we are. This is not what God has for us. His goodness. God has set us free. It no longer is our master. It will not satisfy us. Brother, sister, flee pornography. You were bought at a price. You are Christ. What you are searching for will not fulfill you. Flee. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in Jesus. Stop going there. Flee. You know, get rid of your phone in your room. Put the filters on. Get accountable to others. But remember, the only way you will break free from your addiction is the power of God to live out your new identity. Look at who you are. Live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. In the same way, the books you read, or the TV shows that you're watching, the saturation of sexual content just isn't worth it. 
You know, wouldn't it be deeply strange and intrusive to be present in the room? Why do we then see it on a screen and think that it's okay for us to watch and enjoy? That's not what God made sex for. So flee the places you know you'll be tempted. Don't spend long hours with your boyfriend or girlfriend in a situation you know you'll be compromising. Pursue holiness. Set clear boundaries and stick to them. Not because by them that we're holy, but because you know your new identity. The new creation Christ has purchased for you. We live who we are saved to be. The gospel is the only power to overcome our sin. Only by looking to Jesus and experiencing his washing, his sanctifying, his justification can we overcome. Because the enemy is going to want to come and accuse and say, you are guilty, you are unworthy. And Christ says, I paid for him with my life. I paid for her with my life. Forgiven, set free. Only in the gospel. So preach the gospel to yourself every day. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you have your shower, at every meal, preach the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, that you purchased me out of death and sin and you've clothed me with your righteousness. Preach the gospel to yourself. And guys, we cannot do it alone. We can't do it alone. Start an accountability group. Remember, Paul's writing in the context of a church and it mattered that the church were helping one another to live this new identity. So maybe right now, tonight, message a friend. Let's get serious. Let's do it. Let's be accountable that they might preach the gospel to you, that they would help you see sin in your life and help you put it to death. See, this is what the church needed to hear, what we need to hear. We're called to be set apart, witnesses to the world. We're called to be God's temple, people and bodies who worship the Lord and enjoy Him. And we're united with Christ. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. I know that tonight there may be some of you that are at this point where you need to confess that there is this sexual immorality that you've been uh, involved with, perhaps for a long time have been struggling. Maybe you're at this point where you need to humble yourself and come before Jesus and remind yourself of your new identity. And if you haven't accepted that, let me tell you that Jesus offers this freely. He paid the price for you. And your sexual sin is not giving you life. Jesus alone can give you life. And so maybe you need a moment of confession, coming before the Lord and saying, forgive me, change me, help me to live out my new identity. I want to think especially of our brothers and sisters who maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you're trying, but you feel like your faith is just being choked. You can't be fruitful. You, you can't experience that joy or that passion and you know it's because you keep turning back to this sin. I want to pray for you right now and I want to invite you 
to take hold of this new identity. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. And he offers us new life and freedom. This is the people that we want to be in this church. Set apart, different from the world. Experiencing his freedom, his power, his love. Let's do it. I want to invite you to pray and let's, let's come before Jesus in humility. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you would die for us. Thank you that you would take my sin and pay for it. Thank you that suffering on the cross, Lord, you, you took it all and you paid for it. Then I am free. We are free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of God, thank you that your presence is amongst us. Your Holy Spirit is in us. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, we know that we are guilty before you. Lord, as a church, we've been complacent. So many of us, Lord, have been putting up with uh, little bits of sexual sin that have been like the yeast, uh, leavening out in, into our lives that we find ourselves trapped and addicted. Lord, we're sorry. Please forgive us. Please change us. Help us to live our new identity. Help us to worship you, to live out what you've made us to be. Help us, Jesus, to be a light to the world that we've discovered life and true life. Lord, I want to pray especially for our singles. Help us in our abstinence to trust you, trust that your way is best. Lord, I want to pray for our married, um, Lord, for our husbands and wives. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be, uh, help us uh, to enjoy sex in its context and that loving covenantal union. Lord, please protect us from adultery and lust, that we would honor you. But thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. Lord, we are so unworthy that you would put your presence in us, that you would be willing to give us your identity, clothe us with your righteousness. I do not deserve that. We, are, we so are unworthy. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you set us free. And Lord, I pray tonight, this week, set us free. Set us free that we would honor you, that we would glorify you. Well, come, Lord Jesus. Come and change us. Help us to live it. We need you. We need you. Amen.